0: There's no denying that Gigi Jackson had a bad game against Tennessee, but the question is, is it going to remain just that, a bad game, or is this something that's going to stick with him long-term? You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, game Nation, and welcome back to the lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always... Thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and also wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. And as I alluded to at the beginning of this show, Gigi Jackson did not have a very good game against the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday afternoon at the Colonial Life Arena. Quite frankly, um, almost no one really on South Carolina's basketball team had a good game against Tennessee, but with Gigi Jackson specifically there is a particular storyline that South Carolina fans needs to hope doesn't play out. And we're going to dive into that to start off this Monday edition of Locked On Gamecocks. Now, to start off this discussion about Gigi Jackson, let's get into what all happened on Saturday. This, by and large, was probably Gigi Jackson's worst game as a Gamecock up to this point, especially when you consider the fact that uh, Gigi Jackson had scored in double figures, meaning at least 10 points or more, in every single other game that South Carolina had played up to this point in the season. On Saturday, Gigi Jackson scored a grand total of zero points. He, quite frankly, was just blanketed by Tennessee volunteer defenders whenever he had the basketball. Tennessee's defensive style, I do believe, played a big part in this. Tennessee is a very unique defense in the sense that they are almost an airtight man-to-man type of team. They are going to give you very little space to work with. With the amount of time that Rick Barnes has put into recruiting at Tennessee, Rick Barnes has brought in a lot of guys that have a ton of size and, most importantly, length, which makes it a lot more difficult, especially for college players, to obviously work around these guys, to maybe get the ball down the passing lanes to the low block, you name it, try to get a quick jump shot over them, it makes everything much more difficult, especially when these lengthy players at the same time are also just about as athletic as you are, and that's sort of the situation that Gigi Jackson and of course the rest of the Gamecocks ran into on Saturday. Gigi, in my opinion, did something that Lamont Paris pointed out after the game had finished, which was this. He's settled for a lot of jump shots. And let's make no mistake, Gigi Jackson is someone who obviously is quite talented in terms of how he can shoot the basketball. He's the only guy on this team that is able to really create his own shot at almost any given time. The only other player you could probably include in that category is Michi Johnson. And that's mainly because of how athletic and explosive Michi Johnson is going from the top of the key heading to the rim. But in terms of being able to give himself a fadeaway look that can actually look decent and look like it has a chance to go in, Gigi's the only guy on this team that can do that sort of thing. And it just didn't fall for him on Saturday. He took seven shots total, and he did not make a single one, obviously, on the floor based on the fact that he did not score a single point. And the thing is, all of these things really piled up for Gigi as the game progressed. He was very clearly frustrated with how the game went, and... He also seemingly was frustrated some with Lamont Paris, and I noticed a particular instance that really told me that this might not be a good game for Gigi. About eight and a half minutes left in the first half, Gigi got subbed out for Daniel Hank and Sanford when the Volunteers were shooting free throws. And I watched as Gigi went over to Lamont Paris. He had his hands up like, you know, he could understand why he was being subbed out. And then when he came up to Lamont and Lamont was talking to him, I don't know if it was something specific that he said or if Gigi just wasn't really hearing it, but he kind of sat there kind of like, with this kind of look on his face with his head tilted and almost like a scowl to be honest with you and it was just very clear based on his facial expression and body language that Gigi was not happy and Lamont admitted that as much after the game and said that for that reason uh, he benched him actually he did not start him in the second half instead putting freshman Zachary Davis in the lineup ahead of Gigi Jackson and summing him in after about four or five minutes had passed at that point. Now, when we talk about Gigi Jackson and him maybe not keeping his emotions in check in this game, we have to remember a couple things. First of all, Gigi Jackson, yes, legally speaking, he is no longer a kid. He is now technically a young adult. He is now technically a young adult as he did turn 18 years old this past December. But the important thing to note is this, obviously for pretty much anyone when they turn 18 years old. While they might legally be viewed as an adult, they haven't really reached a higher level of maturity yet. And I say that for everyone. I'm not trying to single out Gigi at all in this instance. And the other thing is this. Gigi is in a situation that very few 18-year-olds are ever going to be in. He is in a spot where, as Hayden Brown pointed it out, and it was a very smart point that he made when he talked to the media after the game, that... He has a lot of people that are in his ear. Gigi Jackson has got so many people who think that they know what's best for Gigi. Even though they are not in Gigi's shoes, they do not have his talent, and they're not going to have the opportunities in the future that Gigi is going to have, they're going to give him suggestions, advice, tidbits of information, anything that they can And some of them quite honestly do it just to feel like that, you know, they can say, hey, you know, Gigi takes my advice on this sort of stuff. You know that people do that with people who are in these kind of positions. And that's what's happening with Gigi Jackson. So you have to remember that as well. Sometimes Gigi might be able to hide that stuff, of course, when he's in the heat of a moment during a game. But when he feels like he might have a lot of expectations on him, if he feels like he's not living up to that, and then you counter in everything else, it's easy to see how someone like him could maybe lose their emotions or sort of, you know, have poor body language in this instance. Now, here's the thing. The bigger story here, a potential story, is not the fact that Gigi scored zero points. Of course, NBA scouts and all that will probably talk about that. And what needs to be remembered is Gigi has played really well up to this point. So you could point to this and say, this is a one-off game. It was going to happen eventually. Maybe we didn't expect him to score zero points, but this kind of game was due to happen at some point against a really good team in Tennessee. And now there's two different ways that this thing could go. One, Gigi alters his game a little bit. He basically gets back into the lab, as kids like to say these days. He adjusts how he attacks defenders enough to where they have some different looks they have to worry about. And again, Coach Paris said after the game that Gigi defaults to his jump shot too much. So maybe Gigi decides to attack the rim a little bit more often. And if he does that, then guys have to respect that a little bit more. That's just the way naturally that defense works in sports. Now the other way this whole thing could go, which is a scenario that Gamecock fans would not want to see play out, is this game lingers in Gigi's head. This entire, you know, zero point outing that he had against Tennessee weighs on him because he's not used to having games like this. This is a kid that won state championships as a high school player, was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of South Carolina, was the number one recruit in the 2023 recruiting class before he reclassified to 2022. And when he lets all this weigh on his mind, this causes a snowball effect. And it carries over into maybe not just a week or two weeks of regular season games. Maybe it carries over throughout the rest of the SEC slate. And of course, there is such thing as the freshman wall. Just about every freshman hit this at some point in conference play in the SEC. In college basketball in general, across most of the Power Six conferences, Gigi Jackson, maybe he's not immune to that. Maybe that, combined with everything else I've mentioned, it just stonewalls him. Again, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but obviously this is a possible scenario that we do have to consider here. So my point being with everything I've talked about at this juncture, this game was obviously a bad outing. But what's going to be interesting to follow with this entire situation moving forward is how Gigi responds to this game. Does he bounce back immediately against Kentucky and whoever South Carolina plays this next Saturday or Friday? Or, again, does it snowball? And does he allow this to really alter his play throughout the rest of the regular season? And I promise you, NBA scouts... For that matter, we'll be watching that too. So it'll be interesting to see how Gigi tries to, again, come back from what was obviously a really rough outing against the Tennessee Volunteers. Now moving on to the football front. South Carolina welcomed a few transfer targets home on Sunday afternoon. Who were those targets? What kind of players are the Gamecocks getting? And what role could they play in 2023? We're going to discuss these guys in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, because you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. Let's say you're a small business owner and... For that matter, you own a restaurant and you're trying to expand your menu because you've been maybe a brunch kind of place, but you want to be able to serve breakfast, lunch and dinner all week long. So you hire someone who's worked in a restaurant before, but has a lot more experience in terms of dinner entree type of meals in order to try to expand that menu so that you can serve your customers the best quality meals and food possible, thus Obviously, increasing profit and maintaining that group of people that enjoy your restaurant. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. Because LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions still apply. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. I want to thank y'all for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen or watch every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where you'll find everything you need to know about college basketball in just one place. Plus, hear from some big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on college basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Now the South Carolina Gamecocks in terms of football recruiting transfer portal recruiting to be more specific landed a couple of new players that are sure to make some sort of a contribution to the team in 2023. Now let's start off with the player who was the second out of the duo to commit on Sunday in Jaron Willis. Now, Jerron Willis was a linebacker over at Ole Miss in 2022. I believe that he only appeared in one game, got one tackle and then entered the portal. And now of course he's coming to Columbia. I would not let that worry y'all too much. Obviously he was a true freshman this past season. And as I mentioned before, it is usually quite difficult for true freshmen, even those that are very highly rated to make an absolutely, you know, vast immediate impact for the football team that they are playing for. So what, why is this a big deal for South Carolina? Well, the Gamecocks, of course, just lost Sherrod Green and Brad Johnson, two very experienced linebackers. And while they got some good guys behind them that have been in the system for a year or two now, and Grayson Pupp Howard, of course, is coming in and figures to play a big role in the two deep this next season, they were thinking that they needed one more linebacker and Gerard Willis is going to fit the bill to a T here. In terms of his game, Gerard Willis is naturally strong. He's explosive, and he is violent off the edge. He is a very solid athlete, particularly in rush defense. And the thing is, he operated at a completely different speed than everyone that he played against in high school. And Jeron Bullis wasn't going up against a bunch of scrubs. He was playing at the 6A level in the state of Georgia for Lee County High School. 6A, to put it bluntly, the highest level of high school football that you can possibly play, the state of Georgia, typically, if you know recruiting well enough, it touts the best high school football talent in the entire country, usually. There's very few other states that can compete with the state of Georgia in terms of high school football. So, just tells you just how good of a player and how much potential Gerard Willis is going to be bringing to South Carolina. Now, if I had to give y'all a current comparison of what players does he sort of remind me of? In my opinion, he's sort of a blend of a couple of current linebackers on the roster. Bam Martin-Scott, in terms of his athleticism, how quickly he can cover space, get downfield, and also be able to blitz the quarterback. And Debo Williams, in terms of his tenacious rush defense. Debo Williams, of course, is a guy that's very much a downhill linebacker. Pretty much once he gets downhill and he's pinpointing his target, he's going to go right at them with almost no hesitation. Uh, Jerron Willis is kind of the same deal here he is a guy that is really stout really big really physical very fast and once he knows who he's going to go after uh, he doesn't waste any time usually although he is also able to sometimes be a little bit patient and sit back and see where the running back or quarterback tries to cut and then of course go from there so I think that that is a really good, solid skill set to have in terms of Bam Martin-Scott's athleticism and the way that Devo Williams plays in rush defense. So, in terms of his overall impact and trying to project really far ahead, obviously, all the way up to this next football season, what do I think Jerron Willis could do? Well, this might surprise at least some of y'all, but in my opinion, Jerron Willis is going to have to fight really hard just to get on the two deep. And I want to make something really clear. I'm not saying this because I think Jerron Willis can't play. I obviously just told y'all, I think that he's going to bring a really good skill set in terms of his athleticism and his football skills to the gridiron here at South Carolina. But the thing that makes me sort of hesitant to put him in the starting group, or even say in the second string group, is the fact that South Carolina's got so many Counted linebackers now that they're stacking up in this room, and guys that have been in the program for multiple years now. Think about this. Grayson Pup Howard is coming in, and he's going to be here for the spring, and is a guy that has already just wowed a bunch of his teammates and some of his coaches with what all he has done. You think that Grayson Pup Howard's going to be kept off the two deep? What about Debo Williams? He's been in the two deep for the last two seasons. Do you think he's going to be kept out of that discussion? Stone Blanton, According to Shane Beamer, one of the hardest workers in the building in terms of watching film, hitting the weight room, played a bunch of snaps this past year. You think he's going to be kept out? You got Muhammad Kaba coming back from an ACL tear. Bam Martin-Scott, who's played in some really big moments in his career. And, of course, you got Donovan Westmoreland as well, another guy that this staff was excited about when they brought him in here. So the point being, Jerron Willis is going to be Inherently behind the eight ball in terms of where he's probably slotted on the depth chart, just because of the guys that are already here or are about to come in here and compete in spring practice. So, nothing against Jeron Willis, but I think that he's more than likely going to be mainly a special teams player for the game Cox in year one, which, of course, you know, is going to make Pete Limbo quite excited in that regard. Now, of course, Jerron Willis was not the only player the Game Cox landed on Sunday, as they also landed Western Illinois transfer offensive lineman Sidney Fugar, who was the first prospect to commit out of the group. Now, in terms of his game, I've talked about Sidney Fugar on here before, so I'm not going to dive too deeply into that again. But to keep it blunt, he's massive, he's lengthy, he's played the left tackle position at the collegiate level, and he is someone that does have a bit of a mean streak to him. He does play all the way through the whistle. So I think that Cindy Fugar is someone that is obviously going to bring it in, in terms of size, in terms of the mentality that is needed to play in the SEC. And according to Mike Huseman, who I had on this past week right here on the show, when he was talking about transfer portal targets and Cindy Fugar, he said that he thinks Fugar is a future NFL offensive tackle. So Fugar clearly has some intriguing traits that current coaches and former coaches like Mike really like from his game. And in terms of a comparison, I compare Sidney Fugard to Justin Turnantyne, a guy that, again, came from the JUCO ranks, so he had some collegiate experience when he came to South Carolina. as a guy that brings a lot of size and a lot of length. So if he stays in front of a guy, then he's probably going to have you beat, and you're probably not going to be able to get around him. Now, in terms of projecting what he could do for the Gamecocks next year, I think that Sidney Fugard, just based off of the roster currently, And the freshmen coming in needing some refinement in their game with Oluwata and Lade and Jatavius Shivers. I think he's going to probably make the two deep when he gets here. He could very well fight for a starting spot in spring or in the fall. But here's the thing. I think that Fugar has potential. But in my opinion, he needs some time to adjust to both the SEC, which is obviously going to be much different than the Missouri Valley Conference he was playing at the FCS level this past season. And the main thing that I think he needs to work on is his footwork. Because when I watched Zini Fugar's film, the one thing that stuck out to me was that oftentimes when he was actually moving his body, it felt like that his movement was more so led by his hands instead of his feet. Almost like at times he was kind of leaning forward before he really started to take any actual steps. Which as an offensive lineman, or even a defensive lineman for that matter, is something that you do not want to be doing. So... That's going to be something that's going to need to be fixed through some coaching from Lonnie Teasley, South Carolina's recently promoted offensive line coach, and I think that that is something that is fixable, and if Sidney Fugard can fix that, and when we see what he can do in terms of pass protection, who knows? Maybe he could be starting this next season, but again, with the guys that have played a lot of snaps here at South Carolina and everything I just mentioned, I don't think it's a guarantee that that is going to So we'll see what both of these guys can do as they get here to Columbia, but there's no doubt that these guys are bringing some much-needed depth to the positions that they play. Okay, now, getting back to South Carolina basketball, the women's basketball team, they survived a very close game in Starkville on Sunday afternoon. How did the game play out, and what were my main takeaways? We'll discuss all that in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. The College Football Playoff National Championship game is going to be taking place later tonight at 7 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Really excited to watch tonight's game between TCU and Georgia. And in terms of Bet Online's odds for this game, Georgia is a 13-point favorite. TCU, the money line, is currently listed at plus 375, and the over-under has gone up one point since it started, up to now 63.5 points. If you ask me for my personal opinion, I think Georgia's going to run away with this thing. But line is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis, where you can get the latest odds and transfer every professional and amateur league out there, from college football and the NFL to college basketball and esports. BetOnline has got it all. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix in. So head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more because BetOnline is where the game starts. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, let's talk about what all took place in Stark Vegas on Sunday afternoon between South Carolina and Mississippi State. The Gamecocks managed to win this one, but this one was a lot closer than their previous game against Auburn. As the Gamecocks snuck out of the hump, as Mississippi State fans like to call it, with a victory and a final score of 58-51. to So, what are some of the main takeaways that I had when watching this game? Well, firstly, I have to admit, Mississippi State has exploited a weakness in South Carolina's defense. And that is the fact that um, you can indeed score points in the paint against the Gamecocks. Mississippi State, early on in this game, really attacked the paint heavily, and they actually saw a lot of success. And the reason for that was quite simple. They spaced the floor out a lot. They had a lot of one-on-one matchups because of the fact that they knew that SouthCon was going to play pretty much man-to-man or woman-to-woman in this case. And once they had everyone spaced out, their guards basically just went to work, driving past Bree Beal, Zyac Cook, and Kara Fletcher. It didn't really matter which guard was in the game. Mississippi State was able to get some easy drives to the basket and the thing was gotta give Mississippi State some credit they've got some really athletic guards on that team and so what they exploited was if you're a team that's got multiple athletic guards good ball handlers who can take defenders off the dribble and finish through contact get to the rim then you can have some success against South Carolina now admittedly South Carolina's probably not going to face a whole heck of a lot of other teams this year that have the kind of guard lineup that Mississippi State touted going into this game. LSU might provide them some challenges with that. Maybe Kentucky, who has a couple decent guards. Maybe there's a team nationally, maybe Stanford or someone else that can challenge them that way. But Mississippi State did exploit a chink in the armor here for South Carolina's defense. And it's something they're going to have to maybe look at trying to address moving forward. Secondly. In terms of the offensive side of the ball, South Carolina continues to struggle with zone defensive concepts. Mississippi State ran a lot of a 1-3-1 zone early on in this game, and it's quite obvious that for South Carolina, a team that tries to establish their offensive presence by going to the low block, by getting the ball near the rim, going to the paint, trying to get the ball to Aliyah Boston, Camila Cardoso, Victoria Saxton, you name it. Because they do that so much, and quite honestly, sometimes South Carolina's a little bit stubborn in trying to get the ball inside, teams are going to pounce on that. And the way that Mississippi State tried to do that was by playing a lot of zone defense. And whenever Aaliyah Boston or Cardoso got the ball in that 1-3-1, Mississippi State immediately collapsed with like two, three defenders on those players. And either they got fouled, maybe they weren't able to make their shot, they did throw up, or they had to kick the ball right back out. And this was something that the Georgia Bulldogs had some success with against South Carolina just this past week when the Gamecocks went and played at Stegman Coliseum against the Bulldogs in Athens. So the second straight road game now that the Gamecocks had played a team that runs a decent zone defense and it clearly got them out of sync. It got them out of rhythm, especially early on in the game. So South Carolina is going to have to Obviously practice this a little bit more, but I mean, let's be honest. This is not going to change South Carolina's offensive game plan like entirely. South Carolina is going to continue to try to always feed the ball down low before they ever shoot the ball from the mid range or behind the three point line, but they're going to eventually probably run into a team that, you know, look, they're going to be able to run a zone defense throughout an entire ball game, and it's going to be so suffocating that South Carolina is going to have to hit most of their shots from outside. And heck, in this game, South Carolina had their worst shooting percentage on the entire season Sunday afternoon. So it's very clear that there's something about his own defense that really messes with South Carolina's offense. Look for future opponents if they've got one in their arsenal to try to throw this out there a lot more against South Carolina. And then the last takeaway that I had from this game is that South Carolina's offensive aggression can simultaneously be their best friend and sometimes also their worst enemy. And obviously, this is something that's going to happen with teams that are going to try to stay aggressive throughout the course of a basketball game. And for South Carolina, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that they should be less aggressive in ball games. South Carolina, just about every time they take the floor, had the most talented roster between both teams, had the most experience between both teams, had the better athletes collectively between both teams. So, South Carolina, in terms of just looking at it on paper, they have good reason to be aggressive, but the thing is, at times, because of maybe the mindset of some of the players and how much they are used to, you know, just being basically all gas during certain plays, there will be times where South Carolina, even in the most obvious, disadvantageous situation, will still try to make something happen. Aaliyah Boston, maybe another post player. They get a rebound. They get immediately double teamed or almost triple teamed at times, especially in this game, and they'll try to put the ball back up. That's a situation where, look, even if you're Leah Boston, who was probably, of course, the best player in college basketball, women's college basketball, you probably need to dish that ball out. There's times where Zia Cook or another guard are going down the floor on the fast break, but their opponent has numbers on the defensive end. They got two players. Maybe sometimes they have three players. And despite that, whoever's got the basketball will just run right on in there and they'll just throw the ball up and hope either they'll draw a foul or the ball will just magically go on into the hoop. And either that doesn't happen, and the opponent basically gets a rebound, and it's a wasted fast break opportunity, or B, they get a charge, which is even worse because then you can rack up fouls as the game goes on. Both of those things happen multiple times every game for South Carolina. The thing is, South Carolina, you know, it's not going to be perfect, of course, in this aspect, but as the season progresses, as they get closer to the SEC Conference Tournament and the NCAA Tournament... This kind of stuff has got to get cleaned up. The players have got to be the players have got to be more aware of what's going on around them and understand at times, look, we might be the best basketball players on the floor right now, but even we cannot be Superman or Superwoman at times. We have to trust our teammates to be able to either get the ball back to us or be able to make plays themselves. That's got to happen a little bit more for Don Staley's squad throughout the next few weeks and next couple months, especially if they want to bring back another national title here. To Columbia. So, with that being said, y'all, that's going to do a 40-day show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoy today's show. As always, what are y'all's thoughts on Gigi Jackson's performance, and what do you think could happen with him over the next couple of weeks? Do you think he bounces back, or do you think this is something that could potentially be problematic in terms of his mindset? What do you think of the Gamecocks' two transfer portal pickups that they got from Sunday afternoon in Jerron Willis and Cindy Fugar? And lastly, what were your thoughts on South Carolina's game against Mississippi State on Sunday? want to hear all of y'all's thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. Or you can shoot me a message at line underscore SC on Twitter. And I'll try to respond to your direct message as quickly as I see it. And once again don't forget to make Locked On College Basketball your second listen or watch now that you have listened to or watched the Locked On Cox podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. I hope that you have a great rest of your Monday and a fantastic start to the work week. And I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.